0: Well if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua the 24th chapter. Joshua the 24th chapter. And as you do consider for a moment the influences or the influence that you have on those around you especially on Father's Day. Think about, Father, the influence that you have on your family, upon your wife, your children. Men, think about the influence you have on those at work, your friends. Just think about that influence. It, it, and it's something about godly men rising up that people want to listen to and look to godly men. That is, that is a lot of influence right there. But no matter who you are this morning here, think for a moment, those who come around you that you have the opportunity and the privilege to influence, to do life with, to share yourself with, consider that as we look at this passage of scripture this morning. Joshua, the 24th chapter, I'll try to read through the whole chapter swiftly, but God has done great things for us and he has done a marvelous thing in giving us his word. This is the word of God. Hear the voice of Christ. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God and Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Tirah the father of Abraham and Nahor. And they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. And I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I, And I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the leaders of Jericho fought against you. And also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you have not labored and cities that you had not built. And you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the people of the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you. After having done you good, and the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statues and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the terabith by, that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness against us. For it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. After these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in his own inheritance in Timnath-serah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaash. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua. In all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. May the Lord have a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. I'd like to speak to you from this text this morning leading by example. Leading by example. Let us look to the Lord in prayer. Father, you are a good God. You are faithful. The fact that we even showed up this morning demonstrates your goodness towards us, dear God. For we are not able to keep ourselves as we slumber and sleep. Father, we we don't even know how sleep works. We just know we lay down and you wake us up. We're oblivious to everything that is going on around us, yet you preserve and protect us as we sleep. For the word declares we serve a God who never sleeps, nor slumbers. You are in charge of everything. There's no detail that's out of your reach. So, Lord, for being so magnificent and so mighty, we say thank you this morning. Thank you for keeping us another week. Thank you for your protection. Thank you for your amazing grace and the blood of Christ which covers our sins. Thank you for allowing us the privilege to to be in your house of worship one more time for this is the day that you have made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, we are glad that we serve a good God. We're glad that we serve a faithful God. We're glad that we serve a merciful God. We're glad we serve a God who forgives us of our iniquity and transgressions. Thank you, Father, for bringing us here to worship you. And, Father, we beg that your spirit would come in this place and manifest yourself richly, Lord. Touch our minds to touch our hearts, that we will leave this place transformed, excited about what you are doing in our hearts, making known to all we come in contact, the name of Jesus Christ. Father, we ask that you would just minister to those who are hurting and broken even today. Though it is a day of joy for for many, it is a day of hurt and suffering and brokenness for many. For absentee fathers who have not fulfilled their roles, Lord, have caused so much hurt and pain in this world. But Father, you have promised us that your grace is sufficient. So Father, may you minister to the one who is hurting this day. Give them grace to see that you are an awesome Father and that you will be with them. Father, may your word speak to us today and may we listen. Forgive us for our sins, transgressions, those things that would hinder us, but we ask that you will come. In Jesus' name we do pray, amen. Amen. You know, just saying those words, ask for me in my house. We will serve the Lord. It's like a rally cry calling homes to be faithful to God, to, to honor God, to trust God, but ask for me in my house. It, I get goosebumps sometimes just just repeating it. It's one of those phrases, it's, it's, it's kind of like, I don't know what you came to do. It, it, it's a phrase that has deep personal significance for the one who is stating it. As for me and my house, that is a declaration that I don't care what anyone else is doing. I don't care what's going on. I don't care if it's raining or if it is stormy. As for me and my, if it's a good day or a bad day, if my life, if I have a smile, if I have a frown, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. An awesome declaration. And here Joshua declares this in front of Israel. And he is doing this not just out of a, 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 a personal, selfish desire to, to do things his way in his home, but he is using the platform and the influence that God has given him to point others to Jesus, to, to Yahweh, that they would serve him as well. He is leading by example. You know the situation sometimes where you run into a couple. Of children playing and they're doing things they're not su- supposed to be doing, and usually there's an older one, there's a, a ringleader. So so you, you so you come up to the ringleader and you're like, "What are you doing? You need to stop." They're like, "Who me? I wasn't doing nothing. That was them." And you're looking at them like, "I just saw you. You you shouldn't be doing that. You know better. You need to be leading by example." Well, why do we we say that to the older child? We say that because there is an expectation that when one has a maturity, a a higher level of understanding that they, they should know better and because they know better, they should lead others in that way. It's part of being mature. It's part of growing up. They should be using their influence not for foolishness but for holiness. But yet, when we look over the landscape of our culture, we can see a lot of foolish things taking place. And the very people who should know better are not using their influence in order to bless. They're using their influence to lead others into chaos and into brokenness. Specifically, I'm talking about when we who have made a profession of faith in Jesus are not impacting the culture, but being impacted by it. This is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew, the fifth chapter, where he says that you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? In verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be here, and where is Jesus going with this? He is saying that Christians, my people, are to have a certain impact upon the world in which they dwell. Christian impact, Christian influence, where people look to Christians to lead by example. I believe we can, but this will only happen if we take up that mantra. As for me and my house we will serve the Lord. This is what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 11 1, where he says, follow me as I follow Christ. In the world, people should be able to watch the Christian's life. If you make a profession of faith that Jesus is your savior, let me, let me, let me help you understand what's, what's being required. If you are saved, God has called you to make an impact over your sphere of influence wherever that may be. You may may be a a presidential candidate. You may have all this fame and fortune, and, and you think that I can only have influence if I was famous. No, God says wherever you are, you are to have an impact. Where Christians are leading by example. Where people in the world are watching your life, yeah. They're watching how you walk. They're watching how you talk. They're watching where you go. And people in the world should be able to watch your life and see Jesus. Follow me as I follow Christ. Christians leading by example. But we cannot get there if we continue with, with with mantras, do as I say, not as I do. Once our lives and our lips match up, then our influence upon the culture will increase. For good or ill, our influence extends beyond our immediate surroundings. It's like a ripple in a lake. When you throw a rock in the lake, as soon as it touches down, it, 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 it makes a big splash, but then there's concentric circles going out rippling. That's your life, Christian. You may think your sin is all about you, but your life is affecting everyone around you. It is radiating out your influence, for good or for ill, is having an impact on those in your life. How many lives would be impacted for Christ if we truly believed what we say we believe? And chose obedience to God over everything else. See, understand, consistent obedience toward God gives you a measure of credibility and greatly increases your ability to influence others to follow Jesus. In other words, if you're going to talk the talk, you need to walk the walk. This is for believers and unbelievers. And, And we see from the text That Joshua's consistent obedience to God gave him a credible platform to influence believers and evangelize the lost. Joshua led by example. And through God's grace, he he leaves us a model for leading by example. See, in declaring his allegiance to God, to, to, to the God of Israel alone, Joshua is using that platform that God has specifically given. God had called Joshua. Moses had died. It was time for Joshua to lead. Joshua is is using that platform, that authority, to influence those around him to singular worship, to get rid of the foreign gods, and to worship the God who delivered us, the one who has been with us all along the way. That's who you need to be worshiping. So let's dig in and feast on God's word this morning, that it may produce within us singular worship. Primarily starting in verse 14, just as God had been standing for Israel, we see Joshua taking a stand for God. See, verses 1 through 4 shows how God called Israel his people out of Mesopotamia. In verses 1 through 4, he's calling people out of darkness. This pagan land, foreign gods. It, the text says that, that God went and got Abraham. Abraham wasn't looking for God. Abraham wasn't thinking about God. But God went and got him. Brought him out. Not only did he bring them out, but he delivered them from bondage in Egypt. Verses 5 through 7 verses 8 through 13, he reminds them what I've been doing for you as you are going through the promised land. He's reminding them, I've been with you all the way. So here at Shechem, which interestingly enough, this is the same location that God appeared to Abram when he promised to give him offspring. This is the same place. So God has brought the story full circle. I started it back here, but I'm finishing up right here. And I want you to see this. Speaking to Israel, Joshua uses his influence. See, but understand this. Joshua didn't just get credibility just because he took the job. Joshua was Moses' successor, chosen by God, he was obedient to the Lord. He had his face in the scriptures. God said that uh, this law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate upon it day and night. His proximity to the word will determine his success. He takes a people across the Jordan. It opens up just as it had opened up for Moses in the Red Sea. They cross over on dry land. They conquer Jericho. They conquer Ai. They conquer the, 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 the northern Kings, they conquer the southern kings. Joshua, he is a warrior. He has been faithful. But not only that, he is repentant. When Israel has sinned against God, he, he confesses their sin collectively, and he asks God to, to, to forgive them and that they may continue the conquest. He is leading the people in devotion. He has earned their respect and credibility. Why? Because he has been continually seeking God's face. That's how you build credibility with with the world. We complain that, oh, the world doesn't like Christians. Well, you know what? I can't do anything about how they feel now, but I sure can live a Christian life before them, so what they say really doesn't have weight. Joshua has a platform. God has given you a platform. Your family is your platform. Your friends are your platforms. Your job is your platform. In your school, that, that is your platform. Wherever God has placed you, he wants you to be a credible witness. When you, when you think about the, a case in a court of law, so much rises and falls and falls based upon the testimony of an eyewitness, right? So in the court of law, they are very meticulous in trying to get a witness who has credibility. Because if the case rises and falls on the testimony of a witness, you want the person who's on the stand to really know what they're talking about. You don't want someone with a sketchy past. You don't want someone who, who doesn't have a PhD talking about astrophysics. You want the right person to give the right witness. This is what's going on. Joshua is a credible witness because of what God has been using him for. Are you credible? If we were to put your life on the, the stand, would you be able to stand up to the prosecutor? Because you know you're being prosecuted, prosecutor, right? Because the text says that Satan is, is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour. He is always casting uh, and prosecuting the saints. He is always bringing up to God, oh, look at him now. Look at, uh, yeah, I thought they loved you. Oh, uh, look at them now. They're there is always a case against you. And unless you got a credible witness on your behalf, we wouldn't be able to stand. But God is doing something. In this text, to show us and to show Israel that you can become credible witnesses for God's glory. How do we do this? How do we do this? Looking at this text, I'm looking at four ways that we can become credible witnesses influencing others for Jesus. Four ways. The first, the people of God must be dedicated. We have to be dedicated. The people of God must be decisive. The people of God must be determined. And the people of God must be dependent. The people of God must be dedicated. In verse 14, Joshua declares, now therefore, he, therefore, he is pointing back to verses 1 through 13, everything that God has done. He has already showed how good he is because of his goodness towards us. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. And serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Joshua impressed upon the people what they should do in light of God's goodness towards them. Because of God's goodness, because of his provision, his protection, the sustenance that we receive from his hand. Because he is a good father, this is what you should do. Fear the Lord. There's a lot of talk when we see fear in the Bible, because what we like to do when we see fear, fear the Lord, we say, well, it says fear, but it really doesn't mean fear, you know, like fear. But actually, what the the text wants you to do is, yes, you should fear God. You should be very afraid about his power and what he is able to do. But yet, it's reverential in nature. It's it's like the fear I have for my father. I respect him, love him. I I know know that if, if I was to rise up, and try to get beside myself that daddy, you know, that daddy strength. Like, he may be older than me. He may be shorter than me. But he got this daddy strength that if he really needed to put it on me, he will put it on me. See, understand that God, your father, our father will put it on you if you not obedient and doing what you're supposed to do. So this, this fear, it's more like you better recognize... Israel, not therefore. You better recognize who we serve. Don't be playing games with him. He, he, don't, he don't play games. You know, he, he, he don't crack up at jokes like us. He is someone to be revered. Fear, and then he says, fear him, and then no less than seven times he used the word serve. You serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. Seven. Serve the Lord. Serve the Lord over and over again. The word used here, has a context of work. So when Joshua says, because of what God has done, you need need to work. God has a job for you. He has a plan for your life. And guess what? You, you, You can't do the plan unless you work the plan. He is telling the people, they have to work. They have to be faithful. They have to follow. They have to be diligent. They have to be intentional in their devotion to God. But, but there's another context, which I love because when he says serve, not only do I work, it means to be bound to. So I'm not, I'm not just working in order to achieve favor with God. I'm working because I'm bound to him and he's working already. It's like when I'm walking around the house and one of the kids jump on my leg. They're they going to go where I go. Why? Because they're bound to my leg. They're just going to go with me wherever I go. And when we are working or with God, he will keep us bound with him, and wherever he go, we go. Whatever he's taking care of, we get to be a part of that mission. He's saying, he's saying God is redeeming a people for himself. He is reversing the curse of creation. Don't you want to be a part of it? Don't you want to be bound to this mission? Don't you want to be bound Say his glory. Sincerity and faithfulness connotates wholeness, wholeheartedness, total devotion. So commitment. He's saying commit. Israel, commit. Stop playing this on-again, off-again relationship. Commit to God. Be dedicated. Be faithful. Because Israel... You will be tempted to stray. And unless you are committed and dedicated, you will lose focus. That's why he says put away those gods. Put away, not just high. he's saying get rid of them. Get rid of those idols. Get rid of those false gods that that came out from your ancestors. No longer look to them. This is what Jacob did in Genesis 35. As they were leaving Laban, and and, and they are coming out from Laban, and remember his wife had brought those those little idols with him, Jacob comes to everyone and says, look, put away these gods. Get rid of them. If we're going to serve the Lord, then we're just going to serve the Lord. What does this mean? Choosing to serve God on the inside will lead to an example of faithfulness on the outside. Joshua's example of faithfulness and credibility didn't just show up one day. It was because he loved God. He cultivated a heart for God. He was obedient to God. See, in dedicating our lives to Christ, many of us, we want to take an outside-in approach rather than an inside-out approach. We want to go to church. We want to say the right things. We want to wear the right clothes. We want No, we want the outside to look good, and, and maybe it, it, it'll change me on the inside. No, that doesn't work. God says if you want to live a dedicated, faithful life, then your heart must be changed because the inside affects the outside. This is a means of grace and not a means of face. See, because you can front all you want. See, see, you can walk in here and on the outside, front and make me believe that everything is well with you and you blessed and you highly favored and you got your chin up and you just cheesing and, and everything on the outside may look good, but God doesn't care about the outside if the inside is corrupt. In, in, in Matthew 15, this is why Jesus talk, he, he is talking about, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. Why? Verse 19, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. If you're going to lead by example... Fellow Christian, you have to do the hard work of hard work because God is showing you that you walking around. You're like, well, why did I, why did I say that? How how did that come out? Because it's inside of you. And it's just sitting there, and it's festering, and you're not dealing with it. It's like an, an old trash can that won't nobody take out the trash. You know, everybody just kind of walk past the trash can. After a while, it begins to stink. And God is saying to somebody here today, you're stinking on the inside. Somebody need to take out this trash and transform your heart. We do the hard work of hard work. It's from the inside out that God wants to change us. Faithfulness to God is marked by a wholehearted service. You can be a godly example of dedication by cultivating a devoted heart. Because dedication leads to obedience. We cultivate this heart through prayer, through scripture, through fellowship. All those things that God has declared that this, this grace can be applied to your life when you are seeking me. We, we just have to have a genuine desire to seek God. Lord, I, I, I know I'm, I blow it every day. Please forgive me. Help me to love you. That's the prayer. So help me to love you. I, I, I don't know what else to do. I, I've tried this and I've tried. Lord, help me to love you. That's the prayer, because when you actually uh, ask God to help you, you know he's a good father. He's a good, he's a father who will, who will not uh, take him from you, but he, he is ready and willing to bless you. You just need to ask, Lord, help me to love you. If Christians are going to lead by example, we must serve Christ out of devotion and not duty. not only do we need to be dedicated, the text reveals that we need to be decisive. In Verse 15, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in the land you dwell. Joshua is saying a decision must be made here. Will you choose your Ancestral gods, the ones from Mesopotamia. You know, your granddaddy, them, uncle, your uncle, them. You know, are you gonna keep doing what they used to do? Are you gonna keep on acting how they used to act? Are you gonna keep going where they used to go? Are you gonna keep saying what they used to say? Or are you gonna follow God? There's that that past type of religion, but then there's a there's that contemporary God of the Amorites, right? Will they get in on this new type of worship, this new thing? Everybody going there now. Oh, you ain't heard about the spot? Oh, you got to be there. Everyone's there now. So, so Joshua's calling them to choose. It, you, it, you may have family tradition that's thick, but if it's ungodly, you got to let it go. Just because y'all have always done it that way don't mean it has to be done that way. It don't mean it should be done that way. So there's some things from our tradition we got to let go, but there's some contemporary things. Just because it's new don't mean it's fresh. Just because it's new don't mean it's beneficial. We're going to have to let some things go. We have to decide, as for me and my house. And what's funny is though Joshua is giving them a choice, they're really false options, right? There there is no god but God. Everything is a everything else is an imposter. Everything else is a fake. Matter of fact, if anything or anyone else sets themselves up as God apart from the Yahweh we know, that is demonic. That is the doctrine of demons. That say that Satan wants to distract you from the one you should be serving. So it's actually a false option. These idols—they really don't matter. See, I call these decision distractors. You know those things in your life that that you squirrel? You know, like that you fo- you like you focus, you running for Jesus, and you 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 taking care of your devotion, and things are going well. And then all of a sudden, she walked by, squirrel. Oh. Oh, 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 he walked by, oh, squirrel, Lord, help me, Lord. These are decision distractors, things that take your eyes off the real option. It might be a TV show. It may may be a song. You know when you hear that song, you're like, oh, that's my song. Oh, Lord, help me. Oh, I remember when. Oh, I got to turn that off. It's distracting you from where your focus really needs to be. God wants us focused. Why? Because in Matthew 6, he says, no one can serve two masters. If Israel continued to try to hold on to God and hold on to these false gods, they would be in danger of what is called syncretism. And what syncretism is, it's is when you don't deny another religion, you just kind of bring them all together and make your own. So, so you take the God of the Bible and you, you take Mormonism and you take Islam and you take New Age and you kind of put them together to make your own thing and then you say, you say things like, oh, these are all different streams that lead to the same ocean. That is a demonic lie. Just a little ammunition. If you hear that type of speaking, that type of thinking, or we may have that here today, where we're we're all going up a different size of the mountain, these different religions. The one question you can ask, well, if there was many different ways to get to God, then why did Jesus have to die? If there was another way, why would our Savior have to give his life? Why would he need to shed his blood? If there is any other way, why did he have to die? But we know Jesus said himself, there's no way to the Father but by him. But by him. So there's really not a choice. Choosing to remember what God had already done will lead to an example of boldness forevermore. So focusing on what God had already did, Joshua was able to look forward and say, he can make a statement, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, because he knows he he can matter-of-factly state that because of what God had already brought him through. I'm confident, I'm sure, I'm steady, I'm focused, and I know that if he's brought me through that, then he can bring me through this. I don't know what it may be, but if he did it before, he can do it again. decisiveness requires a limiting of options while we live in a world who loves options. That's crazy, right? If we're going to gain credibility, we must be decisive. We have to make the choice. But, but the way that you become decisive is you have to get rid of all these false options and, and then it's easier to make the choice, but yet we live in a world who wants to give you a whole bunch of our options. Have it your way. Every time you go eat, it says this on the menu, but hmm, but I want this. See, but I want this with it, and I want to toast it on both sides, lightly sprinkled with sea salt. Now, I don't like regular salt. Sea salt, and then the herbs and spices must be from. Now, we, we, ha, we have this desire that we, we want God our way. It's like when you go to order some food. You know that person that's in front of you. You know you've been to McDonald's a thousand times. You're like, mm, I want a, um, um, maybe I have a number. No, and you're like, are you serious? It's McDonald's. Get a number two, biggie size it, and you good. And you're like, come on. But beloved, the only way you can reduce the options is you got to know what's real and what's fake. And the way that we know what's real and what's fake is when we know the word of truth. Because God leads us into all righteousness. Wherever you come in contact with all these options, test it against the word. Don't just make a decision just because you can make a decision. What does God have to say about this? Oh, well, I guess we're going to move in together. What does God say about this? Oh, I guess we're going to get rid of each other. What does God say about this? Well, I guess I'm just going to go to this school. What did God say about this? I'm going to take this job. What does God say about this? We have to begin measuring our entire life based upon, well, what will God have to say about this? We become decisive, and now we're able to lead by example. We're not like, in James, that double-minded man who he says is unstable in all his ways. We're able to not just hear the word, but to be doers of the word. You know in James, that that double-minded person, that person who just can't make up their mind, that's wishy-washy, flipping and flopping, that that double-minded person is equated to a sinner in James. This double-minded person. See, but you can be a godly example of decisiveness by removing False options from your life. What does God have to say about this? You know, I'm tempted so many times to make a decision based out of fear. Based out of fear. It it looks good, it sounds practical. I I, I can make up my own argument for it of why I should be doing this, but when I actually get to the heart of it, the reason why I'm making or made this decision is because I'm scared. Because I don't trust God. That's a false option. If I get rid of fear, i make the right decision. But it comes when I really believe what I say I believe, that God will, shall, supply every need that I have. If he was giving me his son, how much more would he give me? Decisiveness leads to Obedience. Decisiveness is making a decision for Jesus every single day. The people of God not only should be decisive, but we should be determined. This is in 15B, where Joshua makes the statement, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What is he doing? It's as if Joshua was on the game show, Who Wants, to Billionaire? Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And he says, this is my final answer. That's it. I'm following God. See, Joshua is determined to offer all he has to the God of Israel. See, and when Joshua talks about his house, not just his dwelling place, but all those related to him, all those within his sphere of influence, those he would care most about. And within the body of Christ, don't you know we're brothers and sisters? More, more so than blood, we're going to preach that one day, more so than your, 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 your blood ties, the blood of Jesus trumps all of that. You go to battle for, for your cousin who you know is wrong, but when your, uh, your brother and sister in Christ slip up a little bit, you on their head. Don't you know the blood of Jesus trumps all of that? Man's blood So he's talking about the sphere of influence. Choosing to take a stand for God now will lead to an example of conviction later. What do we mean? Joshua's example, he is a man of convictions. He believes what he truly says he believes about God, he has encountered God. Now he has a rubric, he has a way of thinking, he has an outlook on life that when I see this situation and it's coming, I have a conviction that this is what I need to do. I'm not just open to to what the world may have to say. For us, we need to have biblical convictions on the matters. There are so many matters. There's so much going on in the news when you turn it on. Uh, uh, As Christians, guess what? We have to have a position on what's going on on TV. We have to have a position because we have to be the ones leading by example. We have to tell the world why they should follow Christ and why they should not do this or that. See, but this is not legalism. Because my conviction is not based upon just how I feel. It's based upon what God is doing and has done in my life. Determination is rooted within deep convictions. This deep assurance of what I believe. You know, you know what a conviction is? I know, I, I know what I believe, and I know why I believe it. That's a conviction. See, so a conviction can't be like, well, my mama done said Or uh, that's how we've always done. No, a conviction is God has exposed me to the truth, and I believe it. You can be a godly example of determination by following Jesus, no matter what others may say, because determination leads to obedience. Lastly, the people of God must be dependent. In verse 19, Joshua says something amazing. He almost looks wishy-washy because he says, follow God alone. Then in verse 19, he says, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is jealous. He will not forgive your transgressions or sins. Joshua seems to flip-flop, and he flips the script on Israel, but that's not so. He wants them to soberly consider what they're getting themselves into. He wants Israel to count the cost of what it means to be a follower of God. Because persistent pursuit of false gods would not go unpunished, he's saying to Israel, you need to pay attention to the decision you're making. Why? Because God is not like the false gods. God is holy. He's set apart. He has no equal. He, he in Him is pure light. He does everything right all the time. And not only does he do, do, anything, do all things right, whatever he touches becomes holy. He he has touched Israel and brought them to himself. He he is great. That's why he says God is holy. He's not like these other gods. And he's jealous. If everything belongs to him, what right would anybody else have to to step in? If we are in a marital relationship, I, I, I can be jealous for the affections of my spouse and be right about it. One theologian says, God loves his people so much that he wants their undivided love in return. He will not share them with any other God. Do you realize what's at stake to really call yourself a Christian? Count the costs. Count the costs. Choosing to rely upon God for everything will lead to an example of faith despite anything. When you're depending on God for everything, your faith will stand against anything. Don't, don't let pride block your blessing. It's like people, we know, they never want to ask for help. They think they can do it all themselves. They don't, don't want any assistance. No, nah, I got it. No, nah, I'll take care of it. I'm like, dude, like you got three wheels, and I mean your air ain't working. Like, I can give you a ride, okay? No, I got it. It's pride. That's not dependence. God calls us to be dependent upon Him. There's no shame in depending upon God. There's no shame in saying, Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. I'm in this situation. Help me, Lord. I'm, I'm struggling. Help me, Lord. I'm, I'm falling over. Help me, Jesus. I'm losing my mind. Help me, Lord. Help me stay focused. Help me not to turn to my left or to my right. Help me to love you with all my heart, my soul, my mind and strength. Help me to be focused. Help me, Jesus. Because realize it's all by grace anyway. Ha! Verses verses one through thirteen is a demonstration of God's grace over and over again. He talks about, I took. He says that about Abraham. Abraham wasn't thinking about God. He was, he was following false gods, but he says, but I took him. He didn't love me, but I took him out. And then he says, I brought. You ain't know which way to go. You ain't know up from down. You was in bondage. You was shackled by that addiction. You was broken in your heart. You ain't have no help. You ain't have no hope. He says, I brought. And then he says, I gave. You ain't have nothing in your pocket. Your bank account wasn't on zero. It was on negative one billion. You owe the bank money. Every check you wrote is bouncing. Like, he says, I gave. Your pockets was empty. I filled them up. And then he says, I destroyed all those weapons that came against Israel. He says, I destroyed them. I took out your enemy. They thought they had you, but I got rid of them. That is grace. God acting on his own free will to save sinful people like ourselves. We are broke. We are sinful. We don't love God. We don't want God. But he does the thing when he places his spirit inside of you. It wakes you up because you were dead in your trespasses and sin. And he causes you to love him. What? We are enemies of God at birth. And He says, I'm not only going to take my enemy and, and, and give him terms of surrender, but I'm going to make him part of my, my army. I'm going to, as a matter of fact, I'm not even going to sign him up for my army. I'm going to take him in my house. I'm going to trust him with my finest things. I'm going to make sure they have a bed to lay in. I'm going to make sure they have food on their table. I'm going to make sure they have clothes on his back. I know you was trying to stab me in the back. I know you you, you, you curse me at every turn, but yet I'm going to take care of you better than you can take care of yourself. That's grace. When you wake up one day and you like, how did I make it? How did I make it? How did I get over? How did I get through how did I hold on? And you find yourself standing. It's like you've been sleepwalking. The Lord has been ushering you around. You don't know what's going on, but he's been working in every situation in your life already for such a time as this. It makes no sense, but he does it anyway. That's grace. You can be a godly example of dependence by deepening your understanding of grace. Grace. Dependence leads to obedience. See, But I like how Joshua ends because he says, you're not able to do this. On this side of history, we're not able to lead by an example. We get it wrong, we get it wrong all the time, don't we? But praise be to God that my credibility is not based upon what I can do. But my credibility is based upon Christ. Though I may not and do not obey perfectly, Jesus did. Jesus obeyed the Father, both in thought and in deed. The text says he lived a sinless life. And he says that when he went to Calvary's cross, he he bore upon himself my sin. He took away the condemnation. He, he turned God's wrath from me, and they placed him in the grave, and Satan was prosecuting him, but he don't deserve to get up. He don't deserve to be the, the savior of the world. but yet Jesus gave a knockout blow to Satan's minion death, and Jesus arose from the grave see with, with all power means he didn't leave some he didn't spare some for Satan just in case all power means all power in heaven and on earth that means that means that my credibility is not based on my power it's based on his power see my power is 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 low but his power is high and his grace is able to sustain us and to give us the credibility we need And then he sends his spirit that begins to work. See, it was God who chose Joshua. It was God who led Joshua. It was God who fought. It was God who conquered. But now the spirit is in us and the spirit leads us. And the Spirit fights for us, and the Spirit prays for us, and the Spirit conquers, and the Spirit is reversing that curse of creation, conforming me to, into the image of Christ day by day. So my credibility doesn't come from me. It comes from Jesus, by grace. So, so when you hear people talking about what you used to be. we ain't got to get defensive because everything that I said about you was true anyway. I remember you when I remember that time I rem- you were you were this and you yeah and, and you were that yeah see but everything that's been said about the worst insult, that's been said about me, was crucified with Christ at Calvary's cross. So though my enemies may raise up and uh, accuse me of all kind of stuff, I just point to the cross. I don't have to say a mumbling word. I just point to the cross. See, the cross of Christ is where my sin has been forgiven. And though they may accuse me, he is my defense lawyer. He is the one who provides salvation. He is the one whose credibility upon which I stand. Yes, I am. Yep, that was me. Yep, you've seen it. But God has done something in my life that has transformed me. So instead of a world follower, I'm a Jesus follower, and now I can lead by example. That's why grace is so amazing. Amazing Grace talks about that, that past, present, and future grace. Did you, did you notice that? The lyrics? Said, Amazing Grace talks about past grace because he says, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a rich like me. I, I, in the past, I, that's how I used to be. That's where I was. I, I once was lost. But now... I'm fine. Was blind, but now I see. That's, that's that past grace. And then there's a present grace. He says, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. See, I, that's present grace. And then he finishes, he says, the Lord has... Promise good to me. Uh, His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. And then he breaks it up. He says, yes, when this flesh and heart shall fail and mortal life shall cease, I shall possess. See, that's this side of grace. I shall possess. Uh, uh, I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. And he finishes, he says, the earth shall soon dissolve like snow. The sun forbear to shine. But God, who called me here below, will forever be mine. Our credibility is based upon that amazing grace, that past. A present and future grace found in Jesus Christ alone. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your amazing grace who has chosen to save wretches like us. Not in order that we may walk with our heads high because we think we're something we're not, but you have saved us in order that we can point others to you. But, Father, we're truly nobody. We're truly nobody. We're we're truly low. But, Father, though we may be nobodies, we're trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. So, Father, may your grace be sufficient for us, and may we leave this place excited, redeemed, under no condemnation, and ready, and willing, and able to lead by example. Father, you have your way in our lives this morning. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.